At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're going to be continuing in a series that we began uh, just a few weeks ago called The Five Follows. And this series is helping us grow in our faith along life's road. And as we began this series three weeks ago, we, we talked about how our lives are headed in one of two directions. Either we are headed towards destruction or we're headed towards transformation. Either we're headed towards death or we're headed towards life. And those categories are painted for us in Philippians chapter 3. And so uh, we began this series by looking into that. And what we, we saw that day, and I'm sure continues even to this day, is that we desire transformation in life, right? That's why we're here. We, we long to have a life that is being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why we're, we're here this morning. But how do we get there? How do we get to life and not death? How do we get to transformation and not destruction? Well, we get there by following Jesus, not by following us, but by following him. And how we follow him has really been the subject of this series. In very practical ways, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? Well, we've seen so far that we follow Jesus into his word, that we, we look to his word, the scriptures, as our final rule and authority to get to know God and to find our action plan for life. And then we saw last Sunday how we also follow him into worship, that we spend dedicated time laying ourselves low and lifting him high. And we do that through a number of different ways. Those are two of the things that we do as we follow Jesus. But this morning, we're going to look at a third way that we follow Jesus, and that way is through following Jesus into community, following Jesus into community. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Now, when I talk about following Jesus into community, uh, that word community is a very important word for Christians. It's an important word for all humanity, actually, because when you think about humanity and, and our role in the world, do you realize that we were never created to be alone? We were never created to be alone. It was never God's intention for you to be just an individual, but it has always been God's intention for us to live our lives out as a part of a community. Now, we see that by going all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture. We look at the book of Genesis. God created everything. There was a time when there was nothing but God, and God spoke into existence everything that we know. And God created the sun and the moon and the stars. And after God created that majestic sky, what did he say? He said, it is good. And then God created the ocean and he filled them with all kinds of fish. And, and after God created the oceans and all those fish, he said, it is good. And then God created the, the land and he, he put on that land a number of different animals and plants and trees. And after he created those things, he said, it is good. Then he created a specific part of that earth that was perfect, this, this beautiful garden of Eden. And inside of it, he places the one who he created in his own image. He places man. And yet in that moment, for the first time in our Bibles, we see God say that something wasn't good. 
What did God say was not good? In this amazing place that he created, what wasn't good? Well, God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that it's not good that the man should be alone. And so God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Even in the midst of paradise, there was something that wasn't right when there was only one person who was there. Now, rightly so, we use this passage to talk about marriage, but I think also it's important for us to see it just as far as our role as humanity. Friends, we were never created to be alone. An Adam-only world, a one human world, was not good in the eyes of God because we were not created to be alone. We were created to live in community. Now, when we think about that fact and that reality, uh, we come to realize that it's true even in our current experience. Because what is it like for humans to live in isolation? Well, we've been able to run that experiment, haven't we? We call it 2020 in a pandemic where we were all sent to our rooms to wait out a virus that is taking its time. And while we have been scattered and while we have been isolated, There have been a number of challenges that people have been dealing with. Some of the challenges that are out there right now, CDC recently put out a report that said that as many as one in four, 25% of people ages 18 through 24 have considered suicide in the last month. One of the consequences of living in isolation. We think about just the experience that so many are having dealing with anxiety or depression at at record levels. We were never created to be alone. We think about just the anger that exists just below the surface. And And if you're wondering, what am I talking about, anger that exists just below the surface, just go and listen to talk radio or watch some cable news or tune over to some kind of social media channel and you'll see the anger that I'm talking about. How has it been stoked and grown? It's grown in isolation. Friends, we were never created to be alone. And we see the effects of that playing out right now in real time. But the God who created us, the God who created us, calls us into community. He desires that we gather with one another. Because that's what we were created for. Certainly to relate to him and to glorify him, but also to relate to one another and to love one another as image bearers of the God who created us. Jesus, the author of life, when he invited people to follow him, where did he invite them to follow him into? He invited them to follow him into community, didn't he? Peter, James, John, Andrew... Bartholomew, come and follow me, and we will be a part of a group together, the apostles. Mary, Martha, others, come and and follow me, and you'll be a part of this new thing I am building that is called the church. Friends, it was true from the very beginning that God desires that we live out our lives in community. We think about that. I, I love this, this quote from John Wesley. John Wesley says, The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. 
The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We are Americans. We, we like to think that we are self-made people and we don't need anyone else. But the reality is God created us to live out our lives in community. And so this theme that runs throughout our Bibles is also highlighted in a call to action in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And with the balance of our time today, I want us to look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where we can hear this clarion call of God inviting us into community that we were created for. So if you've got a Bible, turn in it to Hebrews near the end of your scripture, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. I want to read these verses for us, and then after I read them, I want to back up and we're going to see three things today by looking at these verses that will help us know how we might follow Jesus into community. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. The author writes and says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, in those two short verses, we're going to see three important things today about following Jesus into community. What's the first thing that we see? The first thing we see is stir up. Stir up. Now, we see this this command to stir up, this admonition to stir up, come leaping off the page at us as we get to verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, I want us to to unpack that phrase a little more, but before we do that, I think it's important for us to understand the context that this verse comes to us in. Hebrews chapter 10 is is, is a a part of a longer letter that that the author is writing to a a group of Jesus followers who have a Hebrew background. And, And he's writing to them, and throughout chapter 10, the author has been talking about how we have been reconciled to God, not through our regular religious practice, but through the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins. And since Jesus died for our sins, the rest of chapter 10 is is talking about how we, the, the redeemed in Christ, how we respond to this reality that we have been reconciled to God. Well, in the context, we see three things that we do. So what do you and I do? You and I who have, who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins have been reconciled to the God who created us. Our sin has been forgiven. How do we respond to the God who created us? Well, the first thing we do is we draw near to God. Verse 22 tells us that. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In other words, since we've been forgiven, since our hearts have been washed clean, we can gather and draw near to God, be close to him. That's one of the responses of those who have been redeemed. The second response we see is in verse 23, that we are to hold fast the confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, we have the corpus of a faith. We have a a belief system that we are to grab onto and hang onto and find in it our hope for all time. And those two points make sense to us, right? Right? If we are to 
respond to the God who has redeemed us. How do we respond? We respond by drawing near to him and having fellowship with him. And we respond by holding fast to the confession. These things make sense to us. So what is the third command? If, if, if we are to respond as redeemed people in these ways, what else are we to do? To draw near, to hold fast, and to irritate one another. Now, when I say that, this is, no doubt there are some of you who are going, yes, I'm much better at applying the Bible than I ever thought, right? Because you think, I am really good at irritating those around me. Just ask my family. Just ask my friends. When I say this, I, I'm, friends, I'm not saying this just to be cute, but I'm actually pointing at the actual definition of that word or phrase, stir up. What does that phrase actually mean? It means that we are to provoke one another. It means that we are to irritate one another. It means that we are to not allow one another to settle into the common life. But we are to gather together and to agitate one another to live an uncommon life with an uncommon love for one another, with uncommon deeds done because of what God has done for us. Friends, how do we respond to the God who created us? We respond certainly by having a vertical relationship with God and drawing near to him and having prayer and meditation. Absolutely we do that. And we definitely respond by holding fast the confession and reading the right books and having the right doctrine and believing those things. Absolutely. I don't mean to discredit that. But if our relationship with God is just our personal quiet time, we are missing out on part of what God has for us. Part of the right response of the redeemed is that we would gather together for the purpose of agitating, of provoking, of irritating one another to not get stuck in the common of life, but to live an uncommon love for those around us. So that helps us understand, friends, a little bit of a, of a job description for why we are at church. Why do we come to church? We come to church to worship God. Absolutely, we're going to have music sung and, and verses read, and we're going to lift high the name of God together. That's, that's a part of why we're here, and we're going to grow spiritually as we see laid out for us an action plan and steps of faith that we are to take. But friends, why we're here is not just to lift up the name of God, and it's not just to grow personally, spiritually, but it's also to have our lives impact others around us. We gather together to impact one another for Christ, that our lives would be uncommon because we don't let ourselves be common. We call each other up and out to follow Jesus in love indeed. Now, how do we do that? How do we stir up one another? Well, that leads us to our next two points. How do we stir up one another? Well, one of the things that we do to, to stir one another up is that we meet up. We, we, meet, we meet up. We, we gather together. And we see this laid out for us very clearly in, in what he says. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. But then he goes on and says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we stir one another up? Well, part of the way that we stir one another up is that we 
Don't neglect meeting together, as apparently some were in the habit of doing. See, the the issue that the author of the book of Hebrews has is he looks at the church that he's writing to, and he sees that some are beginning to, to stop gathering together as a church family. And the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, steps in to provide some correction. They shouldn't stop doing that. Now, if this was a challenge that was needed for the first century church, my guess is it's a challenge that's needed for us today as well, right? Both in the first century and today, there are are people who have a hard time making it a priority to gather as the people of God. Well, why is it that we have such a hard time gathering? Well, there's a number of reasons, both from the first century and from today, that I want us to explore. One reason why we, we may not meet together is because of persecution. It's possible that because we're experiencing difficulty for our faith that we will stop gathering together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think this was part of what was going on with the original audience in the first century. As this group of people had begun to follow Jesus, they had begun to experience hardship because they were following Jesus. We see that in chapter 10, verses 32 and 30 through 34. The author writes and says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Friends, because of their faith in Christ, they had been publicly ridiculed. Because of their faith in Christ, some had been imprisoned. Because of their faith in Christ, some of them had had their property plundered. And because of those negative consequences, some had stopped gathering together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, the, the writer to the Hebrews writes this letter and basically says, do not allow persecution to stop you from gathering together. And we think about that even for today. We've lived our lives with a lot of blessing and a, a favored position in culture, but what happens if it becomes illegal for us to gather together? What happens if persecution were to come directed specifically to the followers of Jesus? How many of us would stay home for fear of being arrested? Friends, there is a, is a call inside of this to not forsake meeting together because of persecution. But what are some other reasons why people might not gather? Well, another reason we might not gather is because we're busy, because of simple busyness, right? We don't know for sure what the daytimers look like in the first century, but we're well aware of the daytimers in our lives, aren't we? There are a lot of things that are vying for our time. We think, I've got to go here, and I've got to go there, and I've got to be at this event and at that event, and many of those events overlap when we might otherwise be a part of a local fellowship of believers. And sometimes we can kind of convince ourselves that we're a victim of this modern life, that it's somehow imposing its will on us. But guess what? We have a choice, right? What are the things that we will prioritize? We prioritize gathering together with God's people, worshiping Him together. Busyness, it's as if the the author is saying, don't let busyness keep you from gathering together. 
Why else might we not gather? Well, sometimes it's just straight up sin, right? Sadly, I've known people who have, who have done something and they feel like that thing that they have done is impossible for forgiveness and, and they don't want to be around people that might convict them because they want to persist in that sin. And so they're having an affair and they stop coming to church because they don't want the conviction that might come if they show up here. They might feel they might be condemned if they showed up. But friends, it's as if the author is saying, if, if you find yourself in sin, don't allow your sin to keep you from the fellowship of the people of God. Repent of your sin and come back and be among the people of God. There's something God has here for us. Not only do we see sin, but possibly, but, but also possibly a consumer mentality. Simply a consumer mentality. You know, I, I see this. People will say, well, I'm not going to come to church because I, I don't like the way that preacher says it. Or I don't like the songs that we're singing. And, and we think of church as just an event that we want to tune to just our exact likings and our exact style. And if we were to do that, then we would miss out on the fact that we gather together, not just to have things in our style, but to have an impact on those around us. Friends, don't allow a consumer mentality to keep us from meeting. Don't neglect the gathering together as is the habit of some because of a consumer mentality. He continues on. You know, we might even think circumstances. Circumstances might be what prevent us from gathering. I mean, think about the world in which we've just lived. There's been circumstances that have made it difficult. You're a part of a vulnerable population. You're not able to gather in this room. You're watching on the other side of that camera right now. Thank you so much for, for connecting with us and for worshiping with us. But it's, it's challenging, isn't it? At times there are circumstances, and sometimes those circumstances are temporary. They're just for a few weeks or a few days or a few months even. But other times you find yourself in an environment where you're not able to get out. You're in a nursing home and, you're, and all those kinds of things. It's possible that there are circumstances. But again, it's as if the author of Hebrews writes and says, do not allow your circumstances to prevent you from gathering, if possible, if possible, still gather together. He continues, think of other reasons. It's possible also that they just forgot who they were. They forgot who they were. Sometimes I think we, we, we stop gathering together because we forget who we are. I love the, the juxtaposition of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Those two verses have a connection in that they're the only two spots in the New Testament where we have this phrase, get together, uh, used specifically. Uh, we see it in 1025, but we also see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him. And then he gives an encouragement to the people. Here, here's, here's the premise that I'm getting at. One day we will be gathered together with Jesus. One day we will spend eternity together if we know Christ. So when we gather on a weekend or we gather in a small group, we are merely reminding ourselves who we are. You know, I... I go to Robinson family events. I go to the Robinson family reunion. I go to Thanksgiving with the Robinsons. I go to Christmas with the Robinsons. And why do I do those things? Because I'm a Robinson, right? That's why I do those things. Why is it that we gather together 
as believers. We gather together as believers because we are Christians. We are Christ followers. This is who we are. We remind ourselves of our identity, whether it's with our birth family as we gather for a holiday or as a church family as we gather on Sundays. We are reminded of who we are in Christ. Friends, we are not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing for any of these reasons. Because if we do neglect meeting together, what can happen to us? Well, first of all, one of the things that happens if we don't meet together is other people will pay a price. Now, I know that that sounds fairly uh, arrogant to say, right? That Everybody else is going to miss out if I don't show up. It's a little arrogant to say. So let me say it about you, right? If, if you are not here, we miss out on something because God created us to live together. Remember, one of our purposes as we come together is to impact one another, to provoke one another in Christ. And if, if you're not here, you can't do that. There's something that we miss when you're not present. Often we, we think that if I don't go, then it's just me who's paying a price. But friends, it's more than that. God wants to do something in others' lives through you. That's part of the reason why you're here today. Also, if we don't meet, then we can drift. Sadly, I've, I've seen this happen in too many people where they, they, don't, they don't come, they don't come, they begin drifting and drifting and drifting, and the, the way they think about the world begins to change and shift and move away from from God. Because we live in a culture that has a current that wants to sweep us away from him. And when we gather together, we get our, our perspective rightly tuned every single Sunday, every single opportunity we have to gather together. So it's important that we meet. If we, if we don't continue to meet together, we can drift. And when we drift, part of what happens is we become self-absorbed. If we don't meet together, then our world is just about us. And we can tune everything the way we want with just the songs we want to listen to and listen to just the volume we want to listen to it and, and have just the, the sermon preached that we want to hear because, believe me, friends, you can find a sermon better than this one on this verse or any other verse you want anywhere in the world on the Internet. So what's the value of gathering together in this place? Well, it's possible if, if we rule our universe, then we can become self-absorbed in ourselves. There's something beautiful about us coming together and collectively saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my lot in with this community, and together it's going to be about Jesus and not about me. It's also possible that we can lose perspective. When we don't meet together, we can begin to think that our problems are the only problems, that our problems are the biggest problems. But when we gather together with others, we, we have our perspective tuned rightly, that there are people dealing with all kinds of things. And I can encourage them, and they can encourage me. Friends, we need to meet together, to not neglect, as is the habit of some. So what does it look like here at Wildwood? Well, first of all, it ought to look like us making it a priority to gather us making it a priority to gather. And when I think about us making it a priority to gather, I want to put that in two categories. First of all, to make it a priority to gather in rows. If you don't know, right now you're sitting in a row, right? 
we're gathered in rows and, and in rows we gather and we sing and we open God's word and we, we share this moment together as a part of a big group. And that's a part of what God uses to en- encourage us. And, and so we, we gather together for, for that purpose. And so make a commitment to gather in rows, even as you are doing right now. But not only that, but, but also make a co- priority or a commitment to meet in circles. See, in rows, we can, we can share a message together. In rows, we can share a song together. But in circles, we can be known and know, right? We can gather with others and, and we can impact them because we get to know them and they get to know us. And this is such an important thing for us at Wildwood that we have invested in opportunities for circles to happen for all different ages of people here. And so if you came in today and grabbed the bulletin. Uh, inside that bulletin, there is a, a little handout that looks like this. And so if you have a bulletin, you might grab this blue handout and go ahead and pull it out because I want us to look at it. And if you are watching online, you can find the same content at wildwoodchurch.org community. You might want to bookmark that and come back to it later. It's easy to remember, just our church address plus community. Um, and this address, by the way, is also for all of us, whether we're watching digitally or we're here present in the room, it's an address where we can go and express our interest in finding community in circles here at Wildwood. And, and these opportunities for community exist in two basic time slots. One of them is on Sunday morning and one of them is through the week. And so when you look on the front side of this document, these are all opportunities for connecting in a circle of community on Sunday morning. And on the back side of this document, the one that also has the graphic, this is opportunities to connect in community throughout the week. So Monday through Saturday, there are opportunities to connect here. So when we think about the opportunities that exist on Sunday morning, we have opportunities for all ages because community is important for all of us. Your children need community, and you know that. If you're beginning virtual education tomorrow morning, you know that, right? We, we need, our kids need community, but it's not just our kids, and it's not just our students, middle school and high school, and it's not even just our college students who are meeting downstairs right now in our college ministry, but it's also for us adults. And so on the front side of this page, there are all of our opportunities to connect in a circle of community here at Wildwood on Sunday mornings. And even for those of you who are watching online, know that a number of these adult class options in particular have Zoom options where you can connect with a group of people even from where you sit right now. So we would love just to invite you to take a step into community. We see those opportunities there. And then on the back side, we have our opportunities for midweek, and those include small groups and men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies, and there's details about those things. And some of those even have some tables where you can sign up and get more information on as you leave today. But also our opportunities for small groups for middle school and high school students and college students, which will be starting here in just a couple of weeks. And then also our Awana ministry for students uh, preschool up through late elementary. And so we just would love to have you take that step into a circle of community with us. Because remember, we are to stir up, and one of the ways that we stir up is by meeting up. But there's another aspect to this, not just stirring up by meeting up, but also stirring up by firing up. Because when we gather together, we're not just physically present with one another, but, but also there is an intended effect that God desires that we have on one another, and that effect is that we would encourage one another or fire one another up in Christ. We see this again in verse 25 where he says, 
you know, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, encouraging one another. That's, that's what we ought to do as we gather together. We ought to fire up one another in following Christ. But what does that, that mean? What does it look like for us to fire up one another? Well, firing up one another can have a couple of different aspects, a couple of different ways in which we encourage one another. But the first of those aspects is just we encourage one another, we fire up one another merely by our presence. And we know that even as we gather here today, it's encouraging for us to gather with others who have a shared purpose, who have found our hope in the same Savior, who are following His direction together. There's, there's just an encouragement of looking around and seeing others who are here. Not only have we seen that in our corporate fellowship, but you also know this if you've gone through any difficulty and someone has showed up just to sit down and be with you in that moment, just to look and and you know that they see you and they know what's going on and that reminds you that God sees you and God knows what's going on and they weep with you or they're just present with you in that moment. Friends, part of what we, we do as we encourage one another is we just show up, we're just present. But the other aspect of this is not just our presence, but also our presence. See what I did? That's a T instead of a C. Okay, thanks, Brent. You got it. Thanks. Uh, But what I mean by this is not just a a financial obligation or, or something with a bow on top of it, but I'm talking about the way in which we serve each other. First of all, the way we serve one another with our words. Our words can fire up one another. We see someone discouraged and we speak a word of encouragement to them. We pray with them. We, we share a scripture verse with them. We write them a note. We send them an email. We drop them a text. Friends, our, our words can be used by God to fire up one another as we follow Christ. And so as we gather together, we don't just show up, but we show up and then we reach out and we use our words to encourage one another in Christ. But not just with our words, but also with our deeds. As we're talking with one another and we, we hear of opportunities, we don't just talk about it, but then we might show up and we might do it. We might make them a meal. We might invite them to come over for dinner. We, we, we might meet a need that they have that has been identified. And in those ways, we are, we are reaching out and we are firing up one another in Christ. Friends, when we think about this, this idea of following Jesus into community, it's really about us stirring up, meeting up, and firing up one another to follow him. And we have the privilege of being able to do that together. Now, when I, I think about this idea and this topic, I, for whatever reason, my mind floats to times in my life when I did not have community. Have any of you all ever been in those spots? times in your life when you didn't have community? Some of you might be like, yeah, that time is right now. Or you might think of a, of a, of a time in a, in, a, in a prior season. When I think about a time when I didn't have community, I, I always think about the time when I, I moved to Norman to be a part of the University of Oklahoma. Um, so this is the, the weekend before OU classes start, so I think about this experience often. But like, like many of you, I was a student at OU. I, I came here from Bartlesville, and I, I moved in the dorms. And, and I remember coming to college with all kinds of outstanding expectations. 
right? I came to college thinking this is going to be the time of my life. And it was reinforced by people saying, you're going to meet your best friends and it's going to be awesome and all this stuff. But, but what happened when I showed up on campus was I, I just felt like something was not right in my spirit or in my soul. Because I, I went from being a big fish in a small, fond, small pond to being a small fish in a giant ocean. And, and I just felt a little bit lost in that moment. I couldn't have articulated it quite that way, but I just was lost. And I remember in my first week of class, I remember sitting on a swing outside Walker Tower. That's right, there used to be swings, a swing set outside of Walker Tower. I remember sitting on a swing outside of Walker Tower, and I remember having these thoughts to myself, why am I here? Why did I not go someplace else? Because what I was thinking was something's not right. And what I need was I needed a different place. I needed a different thing. I needed a different something. But thankfully, the Lord answered that, those questions and those thoughts for me, not by changing my geography, or I might not ever have met any of you. But what the Lord did in response to those prayers was he involved me in community. I took steps into a church, Wildwood Community Church, as a college student. And as I took steps into a small group and got a part of a ministry on campus, got to know friends that were in my fraternity house who were also following Jesus. And for the rest of my life, I've been blessed by those experiences. But what I found was what I thought was what was missing was the wrong place or another thing. But in reality, what I needed was community. Friends, I say that because this morning, something doesn't sit right with many of you. And you're wondering what it is. And you're thinking, maybe I need to move. Maybe I need to get a new job. Maybe I need to find a new school. Maybe I need to whatever. I think the answer to most of those questions, not all, not all. There are legitimate reasons for all of those things. What you need is community. Friends, this message today is not to get something from you. I, I love having people in chairs. It's, it's much more fun to preach now than it was back in April. Um, but I, it's not that I want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to experience the life and the vitality of community. By God's grace, that's what we get to be as a church, a place where that community can be found and where we can follow Jesus, not alone, but together to the glory of God. Father, thank you so much for just the opportunity to open your word today and to study it, to be encouraged by it. I, I pray that you would... Help each of us today just to, to take that step that you have for us, that next step in community. Father, as we follow you together, that you would use us to impact those around us in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.